introducing our guest speaker this morning, Mr. Brad Wass. Uh, Brad has been a disciple maker for many years and across many nations. So he started off in the corporate world for 14 years as an executive and a sales manager across what, 14 different nations. And then in 1997, the Lord called them into the mission field in Cape Town, South Africa for 14 years making disciples of university students and of World Cup soccer athletes. And Brad continues that passion for soccer clear to this day. Um, Brad is ordained within the EFCA, and for the last six and a half years, he has served on our central district staff as the multicultural director, helping to plant 28 multicultural churches. And then most recently, the EFCA has asked him to step out and plant a church now. So he is now the director of Ambassador City Network. Well, Brad and his wife, Patty, have been members here at First Free for several years. They have five grown children and one beautiful granddaughter. Brad and Patty just celebrated their 33rd anniversary this last Friday, so happy anniversary, guys. And Brad also turned the big 6-0 on Friday, so this is a big weekend for you, man. Awesome. Well, why don't you join me in welcoming Brad Wass. Well, thank you, Brother Nick. You encouraged me, and I'm so thankful for your Rooted ministry. I, we loved Rooted, and hopefully you guys will have an opportunity to be part of it. Love both of these brothers. Hey? What a great staff you have at First Free here. And Andrew's preaching. Yes, amen to that. Andrew's preaching here next weekend, so can't wait to hear Andrew. Hasn't this been a great series? I've loved it, hey? especially Isla here last weekend. It was fantastic. The verse that changed everything. So it's a great joy and honor to be with you, First Free Family. Uh, our text this morning is in 2 Timothy. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. That's the verse that changed everything for me. So you'll hear that story this morning. And I do want to uh, just honor my wife, Patty. We've just clapped for her, but 33 years. <laughs> Thank you, Patty, for walking with me for 33 years. I have the most awesome wife in the world. Thank you, Patty. I love you. So uh, where are we going today? Yeah, let me just show a little picture to get started before I... I'll start with this story. This is the story of August 12th. This, was, this, this picture was taken just a couple weeks ago. This is my middle son, Samuel, and his bride, so Samuel and Leah were married August 12th. I had the privilege to perform the wedding right at Tower Grove. That's our beautiful community. That's our family. And what a beautiful day we had to celebrate and to see the two come together as one. But I want to show a little picture here of what we're talking about today, about seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And these two pictures communicate that. Do you see on the left my son Samuel? He's like, oh, man, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys have been there, you know that? So he's, I'm praying with him before the wedding. And then it's just like we step from being this kingdom of self into the kingdom of marriage. And there he is on the right. Look at everybody smiling and the vows have been performed. And now they are husband and wife. And it's such a beautiful picture because it's a picture of us, the church, you see, we are the bride. Men, get over it. We're brides. <laughs> we are brides. And listen to what Revelation 19 says. Praise the Lord. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice. 
let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. There's a coming wedding feast, just as we celebrated. It's coming. And his bride has prepared herself. Are we prepared? She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he said, these are the true words that come from God. This morning, my friends, we have this privilege to be invited to this wedding feast. Will you be there? Will you be part of this wedding feast that we've been invited to? Paul and Timothy, this passage that we're looking at today, 2 Timothy, this is Paul's last words. Paul was probably the same age as me, about 60 years old. And he said, I've finished the course. I've finished the race. And he's looking back. You know, one of the gifts that I received is not only a coffee mug for my birthday, but also a card that talked about what 1963 was like. Now I'm officially an old guy, so I'm going to tell you what it's like. In 1963, the world population was 3.19 billion. Now we're at 8 billion. In 1963, you could buy a brand new Mustang for $2,700. <laughs> or you could buy a new house for $12,000. A gallon of gas was 31 cents. And the NBA finals were the Boston Celtics against the Los Angeles Lakers. You remember who won? The Celtics. And you know how I remember that? Because when I was born, my dad would tell this story all the time. You see, the L.A. Lakers really weren't the L.A. Lakers. They were the Minnesota Lakers. Yes, I was born and raised in God's country, Minnesota. Any other Minnesotans? All right. Woo. Nice. Beautiful. I see Brazilians up front. Edson, it's nice to see you guys. Brazil is here. Brazil's in the house. Sorry, I get a little excited about the nations. So, uh, yeah, uh, where was I? Oh, my, my dad was telling us, told the story over and over again that the center for the Minnesota Lakers was in the waiting room when I was born. His son and I were born at the same time. And so his son was born eight pounds, seven ounces. I was born nine pounds, 10 ounces. <laughs> and my dad was like, yes, I'm so proud of you, son. So I had nothing to do with it, dad. <laughs> but here's Paul telling his son, Timothy, I love you. I love you so much. I have tears for you. Here's where we're going this morning. Life-giving disciple-making. Paul is passing on this generational gospel to the next generation of Timothy. This is his last letter. And he's calling us to this four practices of grace to see a beautiful community of Jesus Christ lived out amongst all people. You see, Revelation 7, 9 says that God is calling people from every tongue and tribe and people and nation, a beautiful community to reflect his glory amongst all people. And so what God is doing in the midst of that, in this beginning of this passage in 2 Timothy, is he's saying to Timothy, Listen, Timothy, I know you're saying, who am I? Who am I to follow you, Paul? But Paul is calling Timothy to go from who am I to here I am. Use me. Use me for your glory. As we've been going through the book of Acts, 
awesome to go through the book of Acts. Paul and Timothy worked together in the book of Acts with incredible transformation. Acts 19.10 says, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. What if that were the case in St. Louis? What if everybody in St. Louis was able to know and understand this grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Yesterday, we were at the Festival of Nations. Anybody go yesterday? Over 100 nations right here. We're living in the third fastest growing foreign-born city in America. God is bringing the nations to us, and Paul is saying that. So we've got two simple points this morning. Number one, to know Christ in all of life, and number two, to make disciples of all nations. Our four practices of the gospel of grace, living this beautiful community, number one, identity, number two, endurance, number three, wholehearted love, number four, calling. Are you ready? Here we go. Listen carefully to the reading of God's holy and errant word taken from 2 Timothy 2, verse 1 and 2. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace God gives you in Christ Jesus. You've heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. The verse that changed everything. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, just as we've sung this morning, we never walk alone. You've promised us that you will be with us. And in the Great Commission, the last phrase says, I will be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. You know what people are walking with this morning, Lord. You know what people have walked in here to. Walk with us. Show yourself great. Help us to rest in your finished work. Psalm 27, 4 says, one thing I've asked of the Lord, that I will seek, that the beauty of the Lord would dwell in this temple and that you would show your name beautifully. As Luke 24, 32 says, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? Will you walk with us on the road and open the scriptures to us? Lord Jesus, give us that fellowship of the burning heart this morning. Walk with us on this road and open the scriptures to us. I pray, Jesus, that you would give grace to every heart here today to know Jesus Christ and to make him known. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see your word and apply this word to how we dance this gospel of grace for the glory of the Father. Amen. So maybe like you uh, or like me, I, I grew up every Easter watching this movie as a family. Together, we would get together as a family, and we would watch on Easter the Ten Commandments. And there was this scene in the Ten Commandments that still sticks with me. It's this picture here that you see of, of Moses before the burning bush. Moses stands before this bush that continues to burn, but it's never consumed. What a picture if that were our hearts, just like Luke 24, 32. And it says, God said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh. I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remembered to all generations, all generations. It's to be passed on all generations. The amazing thing about that name, I am, it's present tense. He's here. His presence is with us. He's amongst us. 
And so Paul is saying to Timothy in the midst of this, this burning heart, this fellowship of the burning heart, the great I am is what you need. He's everything that you need. Do you ever, like Timothy, ask that question, who am I? Who am I that you would use me? I mean, I'm a guy from Minnesota. Who am I, Lord, that you would use me to send me to the nations? Who are we? Timothy is struggling with that same thing. He had father issues. Paul is now alone in prison. He's all by himself. He knows he's passing on this gospel to the next generation. So Timothy's struggling. I've memorized this passage in the New American Standard Bible. And it says, you therefore, my son. And so when I see the word therefore, I ask, what's the therefore, therefore? That's right. So our first, our four points that I believe Paul is passing on to Timothy goes back to chapter one. So look with me in chapter one, beginning in verse two, because Paul is giving Timothy life-giving identity. Do you see we're part of a family? Yes, we're a bride, but we're a beautiful community. And so Paul is saying that first principle is that you have life-giving identity. It's not about you. And so he says this, remember, remember this intimacy. Remember the tears. You know, you don't see that. You didn't see that in those pictures that I just showed you of our wedding. As I was standing up front and my son saw his bride walk through, he had tears. And as a dad watching my son, it's powerful. I had to pull it together. Don't cry, dad. Come on, man. <laughs> but he had tears because his bride was walking in. And Christ longs for you just that same way. He has intimacy and tears for every single one of you. He's writing your story. He's writing a story of grace in your life right now. Whatever you're walking through, he loves you. And he desires you to know the intimacy of that love. Listen to what Paul says. Verse 3, Timothy, I remember you constantly in my prayers. Verse 4, I remember your tears. The Lord catches your tears in his bottle. And he doesn't forget them. Verse 5, reminded of your genuine faith that was in your grandmother and in your mother. Hear that generational calling? I remind you to fan into flame. The fan into flame, just as we saw Moses God is saying, fan into flame this gift of grace that I've given to you in Christ. Fan it into flame. You know, this, this month there was an article the Atlantic Magazine had published. And it's an interesting article. It's simply called, How Did America Get So Mean? What's going on in America? Yes, we've been going through COVID. Yes, there's battles that we all face. But the question is, he's saying, how did, how did America get mean? And I, as reading through that article, what it says is that half of Americans say nobody knows them well. They don't have an identity outside of themselves. And not only that, it's said that they walk alone. And so do you hear what the, the intimacy of Paul is saying? You never walk alone. You've got the great I am. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he's with you. He will not leave you. You know, the Lord has been gracious to send to America in the last 55 years, I'm sorry, last 50 years, 55 million immigrants. As we've lived in Africa, there is a community. People don't live individually. 
They don't walk alone. They walk together. People live in community. They live together. And it's beautiful to see. I want to tell you a little bit of my story. I'm going to share a picture here. And you'll see uh, this picture of my family background. On the, on the right is my grandma was and my grandpa was. Sophie and Frank. And yes, was is Polish. I was raised in Northeast Minneapolis in Minnesota. And my story of my grandma was is at the age of 16, her brother was killed in Poland with World War I about to start. And so her parents said, we're going to send you to America where your sister Sophie is already there. And my sister Sophie married a Greek and they started all the Greek restaurants up in Minneapolis. But the long and the short of it was, is that my, my grandma got on a boat and she sailed across from Germany all the way across to Ellis Island. And when she got to New York and Ellis Island, she had an eye infection that she encountered on the boat and they wouldn't let her in. Can you imagine at the age of 16 at Ellis Island all by yourself having an eye infection? They said, we won't let you in. Man, the trauma and the anxiety that most immigrants experience, we don't know their stories. And yet God is giving us St. Louis, the third largest immigrant foreign-born population in America. We've got the gift of the nations right here. God has sent us the gift of the nations. But listen to my grandma's story. She married my uncle. Or she, yeah, she married my grandma. <laughs> Sorry. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. That amazing. Thanks for giving me grace. So she, she married Grandpa Frank, and they were married for 70 years. Isn't that amazing? 70 years. And in the midst of that, what God says to us is just like verse 7. Listen, Timothy, God's not given you a spirit of timidity and anxiety, but of power and of love and of self-control. You know, there's a little identity test that goes on in Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus asks the disciples, and he says to them, who do people say that I am? And people are saying, disciples are giving different answers. But then along comes Peter, who messes up just like me, and he messed, messed up in the right way. And he said, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And he calls Peter a rock. And then he says, upon you I build the church and I give you the keys. You see, we as the bride of Christ been given the keys of the kingdom, the gospel of grace, to not just keep it for ourselves, but to give it away, this life-giving identity. Our second point is life-giving endurance. Look at verse 8 with me in chapter 1. Paul says this, do not be ashamed of the Lord, but then he says, share with me in suffering to show us grace. Can I say so often we don't see the other side of grace, which has suffering involved. Many of you know, four years ago, I was shown up here in a picture with my wife down at Seitman Cancer Center. I was given the grace and the gift of leukemia four years ago. And all of a sudden, as a pastor, I was on the bed myself. Instead of coming and praying and caring for people, I was the one who was being cared for. And I was the one in desperate need. And his mercy was more. There was a sweetness of Jesus meeting me 
at Saitman Cancer Center on the seventh floor that I can't even explain to you. But what I do want to say is that we suffer and that there will be suffering. And some of you are suffering right now. Can I say last week I went back to Saitman? I go every three months and they told me I'm in remission. So praise God for how he cares for us and loves us. Back in 2019, uh, when I was diagnosed, Patty and I took a trip. I was asked to preach in Buffalo for my Burmese friend. So we went up there and then I took Patty to Niagara Falls. And one of the best pictures I can illustrate for us today on grace and the lavish grace of our Lord is Niagara Falls. How the water just flows downward. And that's what grace does. Grace flows downward. In other words, it's given to us to give it away. He gives us his grace so that we give it away. And that that grace is multiplied so that his glory and his grace is made known to all people. We don't just hang on to it, but he gives it to us so that he, we give it away. So have you received that grace? Can I give you a secret? It'll multiply if you give it away. My dad was an all-state athlete. On the left, you see the picture of my, my, uh, my mom and my dad. There's my dad on the left, all-state athlete. And the bricklayer, he built most of the city of Minneapolis. My mom was a stewardess. And you may not realize this, but in that picture in April 1963, I'm in that picture. Right behind the flowers, I was in, I was in the womb. So I was about to be born in August 60. I didn't figure that out until I was 10 years old. A little slow, you know, if Polish jokes, you can tell me later. <laughs> but you know what? You don't see a beautiful couple on the outside, social drinkers, athletes, stewardess that became addictions and alcoholism. So by the age of 13, my parents got divorced and I felt alone. I felt like I was abandoned by my parents. And there was a verse from Zephaniah 317 that came into my life. It says, God is in your midst. He's a mighty warrior to save. He rejoices over you. He quiets you with his love. He loudly sings over you. But you know what happened in my life is that sin became, I became aware of sin within my life and how sin turns us inward where we begin to think about ourselves. And again, we're in part of that kingdom of sin and we step into the kingdom of righteousness in Jesus Christ. And I began to struggle with the fact that I was a sinner by nature and by choice. And I didn't have a solution to be able to deal with that. The gospel was not clear to me. You know, there's a theologian that I really value and his words that speak to where my heart was. Coldplay, Chris Martin says this about the human heart. My human heart, I've only got a human heart. I wish it didn't run away. I wish it didn't fall apart. Oh, my human heart, night and day, light and dark, any day could be torn apart. Only God, the human heart. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like your heart's been torn apart. Can I say endure? Keep going. There is someone who loves you intimately that desires to walk with you. That's Jesus Christ. You know, my grandma... Was had a rocking chair and she would, I remember from young moment, young days, 
her praying constantly, and she would say, Bradley, I'm praying for you. Grandmas, grandpas, pray for your kids. Pray for your grandkids. It's one of the greatest works that we can do. At the age of 18, I went away to college with a presidential honor scholarship to study economics. I wanted to be a stockbroker. I had three goals in my life, to be as big as Arnold Schwarzenegger. You see where that got me. <laughs> I wanted to graduate and become a stockbroker and make my millions by the age of 29. And uh, I wanted to graduate in three years from college. It took me five years. So the goals that we set aren't always what happens, but I went away to Minnesota State University in Mankato. Yeah, that's where Little House on the Prairie was. And so my roommate and I at Mankato, we went there because it was the fifth biggest party school in America. But you know what? God, he put two navigators on my floor. And he invited us to play football that first day of school, first day of college. And then they invited us to this discovery Bible study in the book of Revelation. And this hippie kickback, this hippie uh, guy, Tim Harris, I, I thought, who in the world is this guy wearing bell-bottom jeans? You know, he's from the Jesus Revolution. He, he shared the first half of the bridge illustration with us. And I was at such a place in my life where I was so broken. The next day I came to him and I said, Tim, I got to see the rest of that. I need, I need help. And so the bridge illustration that you see here is what he shared with me. And at the very top, it shows man and God at one time had a perfect relationship, but something called sin entered in and man fell. And as a result, God has his, on the right side, his covenant of grace and man lives out this covenant of works where we're trying to perform to earn God's love and favor or earn favor and love from one another. And he said, there's a great chasm in between. And the only thing that bridges that chasm is the cross of Jesus Christ. And I said, well, I've heard that growing up. And he said, yes, but Brad, what God is doing right now in your life, do you see that arrow? He said, God is coming to you because you're dead in your trespasses and sins. And he wants to open your eyes to see the cross applied to your own heart. He wants to carry everything you've been carrying. And I said, amen. So that night I went out and I ran around the track. I looked up at the stars and I said, Lord, I'm yours. I've been giving my life to wrong things. Here I am. Use me. Amazing how God did that. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, that covenant of works. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. My friends, this cross is everything that we need. Every Sunday you come in here and you recognize that like the ceiling is the holiness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that we're down here. And there's a gap that we experience between the holiness of God and us. But remember, every Sunday when you see the cross, what's bridged that gap? The cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's come to bridge that gap in your life. Are you trusting alone in that cross? Or are there other things in your life that you find more satisfying? And you know, for me, that's what became alive. In John 15, we read, Greater love is no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. In Christ, my love became secure. I needed that secure love in my life. 
Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, but call you friends. Do you see, in a covenant of works, I was serving. But in a covenant of grace, I'm his friend. So my friends, there's two people in the Bible that God calls friends, Abraham and Moses. Is God calling you this morning as his friend? Do you know the cross is the only thing that will really meet you? This gospel of grace changes everything. It gives us a dance. Do we see the gospel as a delight or as a duty? A dance, a two-step, repentance and faith, repentance and faith. Soon each of you will get up and walk out with your two legs. Remember, repentance, faith, repentance, faith, the two-step, dance it. He's calling us to this dance of grace. That's our identity. Our identity in Christ is this dance of grace. Well, you know what happened is the next day after I gave my life to Christ, Tim comes up to me and says, hey, I heard you, I heard you gave your life to Christ last night. I said, how did you hear? He says, oh, word travels fast. And I said, well, uh, yeah, you know, I, what you shared last night is exactly what I needed. And he said, well, how about tonight you come with me? I'm going to go share the gospel with some of the guys just like you heard on the floor. Come with me. I said, there's no way. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. And he said, all you have to do is come with me. Just come with. Look at the book of Mark. What does Jesus do? He just says to his disciples, come with me. Just come with me. So that's that's what I did. I I went with him. And so sure enough, the guys that I've been drinking beer with say to me, hey, Brad, why are you here? Do you believe this? I'm like, yep, just last night. I gave my life to Christ. And you know what? That was the calling in my life. I couldn't keep quiet. (laughs) This gospel of grace began to change me. The eyes that I had not seen Christ before because of duty, all of a sudden it was a delight. And I couldn't wait to tell others about Christ. But you know what? I still struggled with a guilty conscience. I still had that family background of anxiety as third-generation immigrant my parents divorced I felt guilty I took it upon myself and divorced children often will feel what happened to their parents even more deeply and I felt that guilty conscience in verse 3 of chapter 1 Paul says the God whom I serve with a clear conscience and I thought how in the world can God clear my conscience of guilt and Hebrews 9 14 was that answer It says that the blood of Christ cleanses our guilty consciences to serve the living God. My friend, we have an identity and an endurance that sets us free. This grace of God sets us free. That cross of Christ sets us free. It sets us free to belong, to believe, and to behave because it's not up to us. The righteousness of Jesus Christ that he commands, he provides. He gives to us in the cross. It's been accomplished. He's done everything for us. You know, in the Old Testament, 250 times, there's a word hezed that is used. To communicate his covenant love. And that covenant love means he comes after you. He comes after you to love you wherever you are. Whatever you're in the midst of, he's coming after you. He loves you so much, he won't let you run away. He's going to come after you. Just like that lost son, the father girds up his loins and he runs to him. He wants to run to you this morning, my friends. 
is covenant hesed love. Let me tell you a couple stories here just to finish with identity. On the left, you'll see a picture here of my friend. So last year I was in uh, Kenya with Rick Burke and with, with uh, John Richardson and others. And, and I had the privilege to be able to meet Pastor Isaiah. Pastor Isaiah is from Maralel. So this is with the Samburu people. And he's wearing my, my U.S. soccer jersey because I, we exchange jerseys. That's what we do in soccer. But Pastor Isaiah was the goat of all goats. He was the goat. He was the greatest goat stealer of all time. <laughs> so he was the goat of goats. And so he was in prison. They put him in prison for stealing goats. And he was all alone. Every, nobody would come and help him except for an evangelist in prison. Where, like me, he heard this gospel of grace and he was set free. And the judge said to him, you're a different man. I can see it in your eyes. And what happened was God has used Pastor Isaiah to plant churches across that area. We worshiped at his church. It's beautiful to see. God set him free and the gospel of grace changes everything. So that's our identity. That's our endurance. We're going about now with this calling. How do we move from who am I to here I am? We're at a place right now where we're called to make disciples of all nations. Let me tell you a little bit of my story on this third point, which is life-giving, wholehearted love that Jesus Christ provides for us. Let me tell you the story of how God sent me a father. On this picture right here, you'll see a picture of my, my friend, uh, Rex Rector. Rex led our navigator ministry, and uh, Rex became a dad to me. He said, Brad, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just walk with you, but uh, I want you to understand this gospel of grace in such a way that uh, you know how to live out your identity in Christ. And so Rex became my dad. And I was in his house. He built, he worked construction. He built houses. My dad was a bricklayer, so Rex led our navigator ministry. And he said, I'm not just going to disciple you, but I'm going to be a lifelong friend. I'm going to be here for you for the rest of your life. And then God took him home, November of 2020. I had the privilege to do the funeral, and I preached on 2 Timothy. This is what we've given our life to. You see, in college, Rex gave this illustration. When you're 70 years old, Brad, and you're sitting in a rocking chair, what is it that you're going to have given your life to? Being as big as Arnold Schwarzenegger, being a you know, finance guy, being an executive? No. Brad, Paul said, give yourself away. Give yourself to making disciples. And that's the book that you saw, The Lost Art of Disciple Making. We went through that together. That book changed me. But what Rex said more than anything else is that, Brad, you don't need a book. You don't need a men's breakfast. You don't need a bonfire. You don't need a ball. What you need is the boldness that Jesus Christ gives to preach this grace. Can I tell you that I was a shy, quiet guy, stuck, and I said I would never be able to get up front and preach. Rex, I can't do that. And he said, you're right, you can't. Christ in you, the hope of glory, can. My friends, you may be saying today, there's no way that God could use me to make disciples. God wants to use you. You see, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You are God's plan. 
What's God's plan to reach the nations? It's us. It's you. You see what Isla said in Kenya, what we heard last week? Every member of their church is a disciple who makes disciples. What if we would do that? What if we had that vision here in America where we would say, here we are, Lord, send us. Paul is saying that to Timothy. I also have another friend, mentor of mine, Tim Keller. Tim Keller was a mentor from afar for 30 years. His last words to his son were, uh, as you can read right here, there's no downside for me leaving, not in the slightest. I'll see you soon. That's what he told his son. The Lord took Tim home earlier this year and just had the funeral for him. God's used him to help me grow in grace and understand grace. So what is this aspect of verse one? You have heard me teach these things that are confirmed by many reliable witnesses, this wholehearted love. Last week I was in a pastor Zoom call and uh, we were discussing the Gospel Coalition new book, The Great Dechurching of America. Do you realize that in the last 25 years, 40 million people have left the church? 40 million people. And they're talking about how that we don't see the generational handoff of the gospel that's, that used to be that generations would sit together in church. And, and now that's not happening. And how does it happen? What they mentioned in their study was that if, if and they took a, a church in Columbia, Missouri, the Crossing Church as an illustration. That church said they had 200 people that had left the church during the COVID season. And, and they said, all we have to do is people want to belong. And so they, they just said, will you invite back your friends? They went to 200 people. Of the 200 people, 140 people came the next Sunday. Just because somebody said, I'm willing to go back to my friend and invite them and say, we missed you. We love you. We want you to know the love of Christ. Matthew Sorens, who works with World Relief Immigration, said that in 2012, there was a survey taken by LifeWay that said the evangelical church in America, only 12% believe that they see God's plan of immigration as a way for him to be able to display his glory amongst all people. And most immigrants said that the evangelical church was hostile to them coming. Why is that? Why can't we be more welcoming and loving of the nations? But in only 2018, six years later, it went up to 70% of the people in evangelical churches said, yes, we want to welcome the nations. Do we see the fact that God has used sojourners, immigrants all over the world? 92 times in the Old Testament, the word sojourner is used. You know who the most important sojourner ever was? that's provided wholehearted love for us, Jesus Christ. He's the sojourner that left his perfect father in heaven to come and to walk with us right where we are. In Genesis 15, there was a promise given that through Abraham, the father of many nations, you're going to bless all peoples. And that covenant of Grace is how he's doing that. That fellowship of the burning hearts to walk with us on the road and open the scriptures to us. But the question is today, how does this gospel that we understand in our head actually fall to our hearts? How do we take what we're hearing today and walk out here, change people, doing this dance of the gospel, living that out? 
John Stott in his book, The Cross of Christ, says there's four barriers that keeps the gospel of grace from going from your head that you know to your heart and how you live. And can I just admit, I'm a failure in this. I daily need grace because I fail. I fall short. I remember when we were in Kenya and I was just loving being back in Africa, being with the Africans. And John Richardson said to me, you know, Brad, you love the Africans so well, but how about the Americans? Isn't it great to have a brother who can just love you well enough to say you fall short? (laughs) And I repent. I repent and say, yes, Lord, I fall short. And in the midst of that, what God says to us is there's four I'm sorry, what John Stott said to us is there's four barriers of the gospel that keeps us from understanding the I am. See, in the book of John, seven times, remember that I am in Exodus chapter three? Well, in John, John points out that Jesus is the great I am. And so there's seven I am's within the book of John. And so listen to this. One of the ways of, of the way the gospel stops from moving from our head to our hearts is through pride. Boy, I'm there. That performance-based identity. Struggling with our performance and saying, okay, Lord, look what I've done. And in John 8, it speaks to that. Before Abraham was, I am. It's not about your performance. Not because you're a child of Abraham. It's because I am. The second way is fear. Remember in, in, in 2 Timothy 1, Paul says, There's suffering and shame. Many have left him. He's all alone except for Timothy. In John chapter 12, verse 42, it says many believe, but they didn't follow because of the fear of the Pharisees. We're afraid of what people think. And we miss the grace of God. The third way is negativity or pessimism. In other words, we ask the same question as Timothy. Who am I? I can't speak. How could you use me? In John 11, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Yes, just like Lazarus, you may be dead, but God wants to use you. He wants to declare his glory through you so that all people know him. And then lastly, the joy of other idols, cash, career, cars. They're good things. But what happens is we make good things into ultimate things, into idols to keep us from really seeing the person of Jesus Christ. And in John 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The stories told of Charles Spurgeon, how he was in a great hall like this. And nobody else was in here, but he was just checking the acoustics. And so he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And there was somebody in the balcony in the back that heard him. And they believed and they came to faith in Christ. One thing he said about the person of Jesus Christ And their eyes were opened. Maybe just one thing God will use in your life, wherever you are. See, God has sovereignly placed you uniquely, as Acts 17 says, so that people would seek him and find him. And his plan is you. (laughs) What's God's plan? It's you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. As we heard from Isla last week, he's calling us. He's calling us to the same calling of change. Ted Lasso asks the question, can people change? You know, my story was one of sonship before we left for South Africa. I battle with that performance-based identity. 
And as Catherine prayed up here, that we don't have to try to perform. We can rest. We can know the rest of our heart that it's not about us. Sonship changed me so that when I went to South Africa, it wasn't about performance. It was about a beautiful community. And this is a picture of some of our students. This is the flag of South Africa. They wrote their loving hearts on here. And I'm just going to share one little Nolita, one of the gals that we just were talking with recently. She said, I love you guys. You're my parents. Isn't that powerful? In the gospel, we have a family identity. South Africa that battled with HIV AIDS, where we saw 40 people, funerals, 40 a week, raging. And the call for wholehearted love. Our last point is this, life-giving calling to serve all people. In verse 2, Paul says, entrust to other trustworthy people who will pass them on to others. That word entrust is exactly the same word that Jesus used on the cross. Father, into your hands I entrust, I commit my spirit. It's the same word. You see, my friends, you've been entrusted with the keys to the kingdom. We have the keys to the kingdom in Christ. The grace that he's given to us, he's given away like Niagara Falls to give it away. How are we doing on that? Do you have a Timothy in your life? Do you have somebody that you're pouring into? You see, Moses was transformed from that place of who am I to that place of here I am. Use me. Is that the story in your life? Are you willing to say, here I am, Lord, use me? Last week, Isla called us with Isaiah 43, 19 about something new. And maybe God is working in your heart as a result of what you heard from Isla last week. In Genesis, I'm sorry, in Isaiah 43, 4, it's a navigator promise that's been passed on from generation to generation to generation of spiritual children. It says this, since you're precious in my sight, since you're honored and I love you, I'll give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. Now that's all about Christ and what he's accomplished because he exchanged his life for you. That lavish grace of Christ he wants to give away through you. Will you be willing to say, here I am, Lord, send me? Do you see St. Louis right now? We are the third fastest growing foreign-born city in America. God has sent us the gift of the nations. Brazil, thank you for being here. So great to have. I had lunch with these guys last week. It was awesome. But I, I want to say to you, we've got the nations right here. Yes, God may send you to go to Africa next year. Go, to, go see Kenya. You've got stories of people that have been there. But my friends, the nations are here. We have an opportunity to be able to be on mission across the street right now here in St. Louis. You know, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, it's called the Ephesian moment in mission. It's where the Jews and the Gentiles come together in one house. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. God is calling all nations to be here together. And in that calling, he says this, your calling is one of being, knowing that your identity is rooted in me. And then your calling is one of doing to go and make disciples. That summarizes. 
Maybe today, one practical application for you would be to go down to Festival of Nations down at Tower Grove. And what Isla talked about last week was to pray for a person of peace. Say, Lord, give me a Timothy. Give me somebody from another nation that will help me to understand your glory and your righteousness right here in the city of St. Louis. You see, God's plan is for you. Grace changes us from who am I to here I am. Just a few stories of how God's doing that and has been doing that. Thank you, First Free, for how you have supported us for nine years and mission. We work with Cup of Nations, with soccer. So we've had the privilege to, and again, soccer is simply our access ministry. So we're going to have 30 leaders from around the U.S. getting ready for World Cup 2026 that's coming here. And we're going to be running it right here at First Free, September 8th. If you're interested, come and talk to me. But this is my friend, Coach Ahmad Faniad. Ten years ago, he came to Dan Davis's house with Cup of Nations. And he started crying at dinner. And we're like, uh-oh, is the food bad? He's like, no. This is the first time in 10 years I've been into an American's home and felt loved. My friends, how can we welcome the nations that are here? The gift that God has given. Look at the next slide. That's Coach Ahmad right there. This is the Bosnians. So the, Ahmad is, Coach Ahmad is from Afghanistan. The Bosnians. We have a, one of the largest unreached people groups right here in St. Louis. I'm in the Bosnian mosque so much just to enjoy the friends there. They say, we're going to make you a member of the mosque. And I'm like, well, I don't know how well that would work. I'm a pastor. You're welcome, they said. And we had a great time yesterday with Elvir at Festival of Nations, just visiting our, what a rich heritage of the Bosnians living in our city. This is the Bosnian team. They came in second last year, by the way. Next slide. So that, this is the picture of what God's doing in our city. But as a result of ten, the last 10 years with Cup of Nations, building relationships with over 50 people groups in our city, the district of the FCA that I've been working with said, we need to, we need to focus on St. Louis. Brad, are you willing to be that man to go? Ambassador City Network. This is our multicultural church plan. I'm not planning to lead it. The plan is to raise up multicultural leaders around our city so that the next generation will carry this gospel like Paul passing on to Timothy. Would you pray for us? We desperately need prayer. We desperately need prayer in that. Well, how do we do this? Let me close with this. Five ways to listen, learn, love, lament, and entrust this gospel of grace to faithful new leaders. You know, when we came back from South Africa, I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to leave South Africa. It was home for me. I did not want to come back to America. And one of the hardest things I had to do is come back to America. And Rick Burke became my good friend. God used Rick to encourage me and to help me walk through that transition. And I'm so thankful for his friendship. That hesed covenant love of a friend like Rick. Do you have somebody like that in your life that knows you well, that walks with you and loves you? There's a beautiful community that we're called to, as Revelation 7, 9 says. People from every tongue and tribe and people and nation. Identity, endurance, wholehearted love, and calling. My friends, Jim Elliott is one of my favorite missionary heroes. 
And I have a plaque that's been on my desk for over 40 years that says, a man is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. What are you holding on to this morning that will keep you from saying, here I am, Lord, send me? Would you be willing to stand with me in closing this morning? If God is calling you, maybe through Isla last week or even this morning, to say, Lord, I want to be on mission with you. I want to go from who am I to here I am. Would you be willing to stand with me as I pray? And if you're interested, on Monday nights, there's going to be a group of people that are starting to meet to pray for people of peace in our city. Thank you for those that are standing. Let's close in prayer. Father, I say thank you for how you would take a simple, ordinary person from Minnesota and show your glory to all nations through us. What a privilege, Father, to be on mission with you and to call you Father. That you love us and that you enter into trauma in people's lives. At Trauma Healing Institute, org is a great place for people to go to to understand how to walk with people in trauma. Immigrants in our city that are struggling and battling. And Lord, this city needs you. The city of St. Louis needs you. People are standing right now and we're saying, Lord, here we are. Use us. Our city needs you, Christ Jesus. Once you pour like Niagara Falls, your grace upon the city of St. Louis. We're broken and needy and we need you. So we simply humbly ask, show your grace to this city. Use us as your ambassadors to declare your glory amongst all people. In Jesus' name, amen.